Dave here. Just a few thoughts I wanted to share before diving into this next episode. There's a great Chinese proverb that roughly translates to, a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. The notion being that great things start from humble beginnings. Now, whether a podcast dedicated to trying to capture the voices, stories, and characters from the world of street theater is really such a great thing depends on one's perspective, I imagine. But by the time we reach episode 100, I'll have easily dedicated over a thousand hours in the pursuit of making it a reality. So in a way, this has been my journey of a thousand miles, and a journey that will be coming to a close after just a couple more episodes. To all of you who've listened to an episode or two, or perhaps the entire catalog, I thank you. It's rewarding to think that the efforts that have been put in since I started things back in October of 2011 with Robert Nelson have provided you with some insight into the people we've interviewed and the stories we've captured. What's next for me? Well, I'm looking forward to brewing some more performer-inspired beer, working in my garden, and keeping bees when I'm not doing shows on cruise ships. Magic Brian will be taking over the helm once I leave, but before I go, I just wanted to say that I hope you've enjoyed the journey as much as I have. Alright, let's get to it. I went to Europe, did Linz and the whole Austrian thing, and then just joined the Dots, did a few other things. Yeah. Did uh, the Dutch one, so that's with the... Uh, oh, uh, I know. Rotterdam. Don't forget, yeah. Yeah. John Seep had booked me for it before I left New Zealand. I was booked for that. Mm-hmm. Turned out he was doing. He was booked for Toronto, so I met him there. I was like, oh, hi, I'm Kim. He was like, hi, nice to meet you, you know, great. I just do a German accent. Yeah, and you did it. Yeah. You're a Belgian guy. <laughs> Belgian <laughs> accent. Yeah, this is German accents for everybody. And we're hanging out the whole festival, and then we were sort of wrapping it up on the Sunday, saying goodbye. And he said, like, oh, listen, man, you're coming to Europe. Like, look me up. I run a festival in Rotterdam. You should really come and do it. I said, like, John, I'm, I'm doing it. You've booked me. <laughs> you already booked me. I'm Kim Potter. I'm on your program. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I was really high. <laughs> Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. To build a show based around tricks or character, that is the question. Some would say that the financial rewards derived from a skill-based hype show are more tangible than the artistic gains that can be derived from a character-driven show, but it all depends on what sort of experience you're chasing. The arts and economics often butt heads, and in the end, it comes down to a sense of integrity about what drives you to perform in the first place. Of course, it doesn't have to be an all-of-one or the other sort of choice. The two realities can live quite harmoniously together and produce fantastic results. And just because certain formulas tend to pop up a lot doesn't exclude you from creating your own path. Magic Brian sat down with Kim Potter to discuss the various strategies that Kim has employed over the years skill-driven shows, character-driven shows, and the choices and challenges that Kim has had to face along the way. How Kim carved out a niche that not only includes character and juggling, but also his love for music is not only amazing, it has allowed him to travel the world and live a life filled with some pretty amazing stories from the pitch. Kim Potter is here, and I am here with him. And we are in a town outside of Grand Prairie called... Um, starts with a C. Doesn't matter. Let's just say we're in Grand Prairie because that would be a better situation for both of us. Yeah. And we are about to. We just came from Edmonton from the uh, 34th yeah. annual Edmonton Street Performance Festival. Yeah. And we're going to be doing the 18th annual 
Grand Prairie. It's all math. Street Fest. It's all just mathematics. It's mathematics. And so we're sitting down to talk about you, Mr. Potter. Because as I like to call you. Yeah, because I don't justify standing. No, no, no. It's good. Just sit in the hotel room. Drinking wine out of your paper cup while you luxuriate in your... The glass I stole from the Chinese restaurant last night. Oh, did you? Yes. Wow. A free meal and a, something to take home. Yeah. All right, so, Kim, let's start at the beginning. Mm. Not the beginning of your life, but the beginning of your performance career. Where did you start? What did you... I don't know. I don't know a lot of this, so I'll be right. sort of curious. To so this will be legit real reactions, not the acting you usually do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get started? And then you inhaled. Um, yeah, well, I started I was a musician to begin with. My mom was a music teacher and mm-hmm. learned piano through school and, and guitar and went through a saxophone and a bunch of different things. So you started playing music when you were young? Yeah. Did you like it right away? Did it feel like, ugh, oh, mom? Yeah, it's, you know, the piano lessons were everything that a childhood piano lessons should be. Mm-hmm. Just horrible. And your mom taught you all this? Yeah, so you couldn't even make lies about how you didn't have to do anything this week or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But it set me up pretty great. I mean, I was so lazy at it. I learned for 10 years, and I have about two years' worth of knowledge, you know, because really? I was just so stubborn because mm. it was my mom. Yeah. But it set me up for, you know, understanding music theory. And when I ended up playing guitar as the focus, that really locked me into that really easily. And then I think when I was about 23, just on a sort of summer holiday at the beach, my cousin Angela just forced me to learn to juggle three balls because she had just gotten back from England and that was all they did in their flat. Mm-hmm. And just totally dug it. and um, Nerded out on juggling. Nerded out on juggling for, like... That was like two days after Christmas I learned to juggle, or two, yeah, but, yeah, between Christmas and New Year. And then for the next two or three weeks, the juggling shop. Where you like could, you learned like you could just keep three well, balls in the air for... Yeah, I learned three balls pretty much straight away. Hmm. Um, I still can't do that. And, <laughs> and then I learned a couple of tricks, but the, and then I was just hungry for it. wanted to buy my own set of juggling balls and learn more tricks, but the, the only shop in the whole lower North Island of New Zealand that sold stuff was closed for the two weeks over Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was just this excruciating wait. And then I went and just bugged the hell out of this guy. And within about a week, he offered me a job. So I ended up managing this sort of juggling shop. In is, the, it, is it in Wellington? Yeah, in the James Smith Market in Wellington for a couple of years. So my job there was just to teach people. And, you know, you teach this really solid technique for teaching three-ball juggling. You get almost everybody juggling in ten minutes. Oh, really? And as soon as somebody knew how to juggle, just instant fifty dollars sale of the deluxe juggling balls. Right. And so through being in a store, I would meet any performer that came through because they would gravitate towards and, the shop. And, right. And what kind of performers were coming through there? Um, the people that were playing in theaters in Wellington or street performing or what? Yeah. Uh, well, the, about a week after I started working there, like my first weekend looking after the place on my own. The guy went down to Christchurch for the New Zealand Juggling Convention and he explained what that was and I just thought it was the dumbest thing. Why would you go anywhere to just hang out with a bunch of jugglers? How does that happen? And then the following year, it was in Wellington and I was all over it. I just could not get enough. And when is, what year is this? Is uh, it the 90s? 90, 95. Right. I think, 95, 96. And then I was at the shop for another year. But just... 
uh, getting an odd gig, just you know, juggling in the corner of some business party, corporate thing for a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know. No talking, just kind of atmosphere, yeah. kind yeah. of just stuff. Yeah, I think my first proper corporate gig was for Saatchi and Saatchi doing um, doing Diablo. Like I was all right at Diablo by then, but not totally in control, and certainly not in control enough to be standing on a bar in a busy club, <laughs> flinging it left and right while the dudes were trying to serve either side of me. Like I was lucky to get away with that. But yeah, just getting those sort of you know peripheral atmosphere gigs. So were you, when when you were then you're still playing music in the um, band at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was by discovering that oh I can do this other thing. Yeah, slowly switching over to. Were you doing anything else for, well, besides working on this? No, I really. Stuff? No, I was just living just up the road from the shop, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just basically just I had a day job, and I did. We was playing. I think we were playing music a little bit, so there were rehearsals and stuff around that, and the odd gig. But you know, it was all original music, so there wasn't a ton of gigs. Yeah, yeah. and zero money. Right. Um, so you're relying on the, the shop and the odd yeah. gig. And then I decided to try street performing. But I didn't want to. I'm, I knew that it would be awful. What the did first you? Time. What did you know about it at that point? There was a festival that Fergus Aiken put together, Mr. Fungus, in I think in 90, 1990. And I was still at high school, so this was before the shop, before I even learned to juggle. Yeah, like these guys had shown up in town for the. I think it was the World Buskers Festival before that brand moved to Christchurch with Jody. Oh, um, it was in Wellington first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, it was a different event, but that was it had the same name. Oh, really? And then it, it fell over, or, I mean, just didn't happen again. And, and then it started in Christchurch. grabbed the name, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Lee Ross and Nick Nicholas, and um, I'm not sure who else was there. But I would skip school and come in Go just to watch these street performers because I have no idea why. I didn't know anything about it. I just was drawn to it. Yeah, so maybe that was the the little light, light going on in my head. Yeah, as a, as a what, high schooler, just yeah. seeing that. And then, but you weren't even juggling yet. No, no, no. It was years Only playing, time. maybe playing piano. Yeah. Begrudgingly. Well, yeah, playing guitar mainly. Yeah, high guitar. School. And but then um, I just sat there, like a little seed yeah. in your head. Yep. Okay. But it, so when you saw that, did they come back the following year, or was yeah. it just that one year of the festival? Happened? I think it was just one year. Right. And then, was there other people? Would people just come in and street perform in, in Wellington after yeah, that? Yeah, people would be around. I think, but that that festival was the only like that's the the event where I remember. You remember the people you I saw. I remember the people I saw, and I remember it was a real thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Really connected. Cool. Even though I couldn't consciously sort of. Associated, like couldn't relate it to anything that I might do mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, yeah. So then years later, so years you're later, thinking, I, hmm, yeah, I, I figured I should try this. I'll go, and, I'll go and try some street shows, but I didn't want to do it in front of anyone I knew. So I hitchhiked to Christchurch. Wow! To do my first show, and the only, now, did you know that there was a pitch in Christchurch? I'd heard, yeah, there were some guys from Christchurch who'd come up and work at Wellington. Okay. Probably for the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, let's get out of here. Yeah. So no one knows me. So they, they told me where to, where to work and, and that it was amazing. 
Yeah. And um, it's funny, my first show was I asked friends to come, so I felt more comfortable. Right. No, I did the opposite. I had, I'm like, can you guys just come and watch so that I feel like there's people here? I have somebody. Yeah. 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 But so I went to Christchurch, and the only people I could get to stop to watch the show were um, people from Wellington who were visiting Christchurch that weekend. <laughs> so it was a bit of a disaster. But you didn't know them. Uh, sorry? You didn't know them. It wasn't like you knew them. Oh, no, they were friends, people I knew. Oh, they were? That saw me in the street. Hey, oh, Ken's over here. Doing? What, what they, why are you doing? Oh, God. What is this? Uh, yeah. How'd that first show feel? Um, Do you remember what you did? Yeah, I did, um, I, I, I guess I did some hat stuff, and I had a cane, so I had a couple of cane moves. No, no patter. Mm-hmm. But the finale was, um... I had a fire devil stick, and I would spin that with one hand, do a propeller with one hand, and I would have, I'd be hopping on one foot because I would have bent my knee and then had a volunteer tie my foot behind my, the same thigh mm-hmm. with a belt. Mm-hmm. So I was hopping like, like you know, like bizarre long, premise, like a pirate yeah. kind of one-legged sort of scenario. Yeah. So I had to do the propeller and then... And then throw it high, and then get and, your leg out, and of release it. the belt. Oh, yeah, that's clever. Yeah, I don't think it looked very good, or impressive, <laughs> but I was impressed with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do it. Yeah, like I had nothing to build up to it, mm-hmm. other than just doing some tricks, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so that was my first show. And how long did you stay in Christchurch for? Oh, days, a couple of days. Yeah. That was enough. Made a little bit of money. Oh, no. No, no, no. No. Had money from the the day job. Yeah. But, um, no, there was no profit on that trip. And then, uh, yeah, a year later, another New Zealand juggling convention, connected with a bunch of people, and went to the UK. Well, went to the Hawaiian Vaudeville Festival. Wow. And saw and met a bunch of people. Butterfly... Uh, what year is this? Flying Bob, 96. Oh. Yeah, Flying Bob, Charlie Brown, and a bunch of really cool sort of California hobby jugglers. Mm-hmm. It's like people are having a party in the hallway. Right? Yeah. Have you been ordering the housekeeping again? <laughs> I don't know what's going on out there. Yeah, so I sort of spent 96 doing a bit of a juggling convention tour. tour? Really? Yeah, um, through the UK mainly. But you don't make any money doing those. No, no, I'd save you. Just, I'd, you I'd, saved up to go. I'm going to go and go to these conventions. Yeah, just it was to my, hang out. It was my big OE overseas experience, traditional uh, New Zealand rite of passage. Oh, really? They leave the country for a year, and most people go and they get a job working in a pub in London. Is this a real thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's very typical. Huh? You I've never heard about this. Working in a London pub for a year, and then with the money you saved, you buy a shitty old combi van with a bunch of hairy New Zealanders and Australians you drive around Europe for another year or six months or the summer really until you're out of money so what at what age does this normally happen 20 20 to 25 yeah like this is a thing that you do your, everyone does you do your university work a summer enough for an airfare get into London because New Zealanders get a get I think a two year work visa for the UK <coughs> okay so that's what we do with it so you go there yeah right Wow, I never knew that. But I didn't do that. I'd saved up money from the juggling shop. And um, just, yeah. Because all I was doing was 
hanging out at the shop, having yeah. two coffees a day, and then going home to my flat two blocks away. Yeah. So I had a bunch of cash saved. Yeah. Which was a bummer because my intent was to go to England and start street performing, but it was terrifying, and I had a lot of money, so it was okay. Yeah. I didn't touch that at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> didn't. Uh, well, I, no, I did a handful of shows. I nearly got stabbed in Limerick. What? And uh, well, there's a story. Well, just a bunch of local kids were the only people that would stop, and I was doing the show in the wrong spot, and I'm sure they weren't going to stab me, but... That's a better story. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not very good at the stories. Well, I've got stories later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When the recorder's off, you tell me them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (coughs) But yeah, just spent the year going to all these juggling festivals and connecting with just technical, you know, juggle nerds. And did you keep, in the back of your head, were you keep thinking, I want to do street shows? Or were you thinking, I want to do something, I want to be a performer, but... Yeah, street shows have that, I think, like, for a lot of jugglers, street has that rock and roll, slightly rebellious, independent appeal. Like, and it's easy, you don't, you don't really take a lot of notice of the, all the negatives attached to it. Yes. But, you know, that cool... Like, you're just out there and traveling... Wilbury kind of yeah, wandering minstrel, romanticized, traveling performer yeah idea, yeah like yeah I, I know what you mean like you you just see the the show that happens the magic and they're in another place the magic and it's amazing something from nothing but you don't think of all the shit like yeah lining up for the draw or getting yeah. rained on or or after the show finishes you're just a lonely loser on by nothing. yourself yeah. Yeah, um, and all of that money is going to be gone by tomorrow, and you've got to start again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're going on all these the juggling conventions, was it just you wanted to go to meet people and learn more about juggling, or was there something else? About yeah, it? yeah. I was still a juggle nerd. Yeah, you know, I was still really caught up in it, and yeah. I just wanted to learn skills, and mm-hmm. that was exciting. And then, um, what was kind of the tipping point when when did it to performing? Yeah. Well, I came back, once that was done, I came back home and um, did a little bit of, you know, seeing my own country, did a little cycle tour with my cousin and and ended up in Christchurch with uh, was a British guy called Adrian Kirk who had been a Covent Garden performer and just general sort of variety act around, around the UK. And he'd moved to Christchurch. I'd met him at the, the first New Zealand convention that I went to. He had shown up there and we clicked. And then uh, on my way to the UK, we had both gone to the Hawaiian festival, and then I went on to the UK. And so when I got back, he was living in Christchurch, because he'd, he'd been offered a job teaching juggling at the circus school in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. So when I got back, I moved to Christchurch, moved in with him, and we just wrote a double act in two days, rehearsed it in front of the students on the third day, and the fourth day was Saturday. Went to work. Really? Yeah. Did it work? Yeah, 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 it was good. Straight away? Yeah. Wow. What and, was the show? Uh, it was two tall unicycles. Uh-huh. Were uh, you characters? Were you just... Um, sort of kind of nerdy, dark-rimmed glasses, mm-hmm. silly helmets sort of shtick, and fire torch passing. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> but we had a bunch of original stuff as well, like a whole, whole bunch of terrible puns that we just reveled in. We had a, like a, you know, there was a, drum, there was a drum roll sort of thing. One of us was going to do a stunt, a trick, and the other one was, had the drum. We were going to do a drum roll. So you had a drum? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. And, um, but it was, you know, give me a drum roll. And so we rolled the drum along the ground. No, 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 I rolled on the drum. We had a roll. Just half a dozen of those. Yeah. 
awful, but we loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> and the audience just stared. Yeah. No, we're watching. We're waiting for the tram. Yeah. We're not watching, rather. We're yeah, yeah. You just carry on. Yeah. We'll go when the tram gets here. <laughs> wow. Mm. But how long, so how long did you do that show for? Well, probably four or five months. All right. And then... Uh, and it was getting better? Well, yeah, it was good. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were just like, we were in each other's pockets, and it was all a bit much. Yeah. So so we sort of just wrapped up the double act and did our own thing separately. Yeah. So, yeah, I just carried on living in Christchurch and met, like, the students there at the time were um, guys like Sam Ritzkoff, Mr. Fish, Daniel Oldacre, Oldie, Sam Wills, Tapeface, and then it was Hefty Jeff, local sword swallower. What was the school again? The Circo Arts. The Circo Arts. Circo, Circo Arts, yeah. Yeah. And so those guys were all the students there. And, <clears throat> and Sam Wills and his flatmate and another Circo Arts guy, Ken Koshishi from Japan, who was just a fucking genius, which is one of those guys that just excels at everything. The three of us decided to run a sort of a fortnightly open stage okay. at their flat called oh. Ken's Room. Was it that big? Well, it was just a regular sort of house, but Ken's bedroom was separated from the living room only by a curtain. So Ken's room was the stage. Oh, wow. So we called it Ken's room. And just uh, the circus school and the local drama, song and dance, singing dramatic arts school, which is across the road, we sort of, a bunch of people from both of those would, would show up every time. How many people did you get in there? Not tons. I mean, well, I mean, I guess there were maybe... 20 or so. Wow. So they just be in the living room? Yeah. And then Ken's room would be the stage, stage and open yeah. the curtain. And and, then... Yeah, and Sam and Ken would just write 40 minutes of fresh material every two weeks. Wow. Just to host it. So we had this little fortnightly sort of brainstorming sort of tryout space where we could just try. It was just the three of you? Did you invite other people to perform as well? Oh, no, we had all sorts of, yeah, it was just an open stage. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, so the drama guys would come down and do and we do lots of cross crossover things and great all sorts of stuff like singing and music and and drama and and as well as circus and yeah and uh, comedy and it was great and that was the first place that Vinyl Burns kind of showed up mm-hmm. my character and then you and you were doing street shows as well solo at that time yeah 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 and picking up gigs and starting to travel around the country and get booked for little festivals here and there. Yeah. The, and the, what was that show that you were traveling with? Um, uh, the... I'm hesitating because I just... I'm trying to work out whether I should say it, especially the show that I have at this festival here now. <laughs> Why are you hesitating? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. But, yeah, I was doing, like, a uh, five-ball juggling routine, a sort of comedy, comedy three-ball routine Yeah, with... Um, lot of art, well, art, is, is art tricks. The early version of the show that you've... Sort of, one yeah. of the shows you're doing here. Yeah, I was doing three-ball juggling and a Diablo routine <clears throat> and straitjacket. Okay. Yeah. What made you decide to do the straitjacket? I think travelability. I think I got the straitjacket before I went over to the UK because I figured it was a street show that I would learn to do that I could travel with easily. Right. You didn't want to bring a unicycle with you? No. It just seemed like it was the obvious thing. If you're going to be traveling at all, why would you take anything else? Right. Juggling balls in a straitjacket. Yeah. Yeah. 
Diablo and the bottle, the rubber. Yeah, I mean the magic bottle. <laughs> I mean the bottle. The I bottle. That's the bottle. I do a trick with You've the bottle. You've been doing that bottle that long too, huh? Yeah, same bottle. Really? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Same bag too. It looks like same bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking yesterday when I saw you shoving inside the bottle, I'm like, I think you need to get a new paper bag. <laughs> yeah. You can get them pretty easily, paper bags. Already right, from a paper bag shop. <laughs> we just got a wine store that has paper bags there. Oh. Mm-hmm. Stacks of them. Right. You can use like a fresh one every show if you wanted to. No. <laughs> yeah. But how are you going to get the money out of the people if they think you're well off? Because <laughs> you have all new fresh paper bags. Look at that crisp paper bag that guy's using. Yeah. Isn't he my money? We should have a talk about psychology, Brian. You need to know a few things. <laughs> yeah, okay. Clearly. Yeah. You've got to look yeah, like... you got to look dirty. Just, like, yeah. just have like... like not care the like, uh, carbon from the torches all over you. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. smell like you haven't showered in weeks. Yep, because yeah. you haven't. Yeah, yep, and a bit of blood, a little bit of blood, yeah, a little bit of blood somewhere on your yeah. clothing, costume, just face, something. Face, face. face is good. <laughs> yeah, just dried up, crusted blood on your face. Yeah, rich people love to see that. Yeah, yeah, and then they go, "That's what I thought a street performer was." Okay, yeah. let's go. Authentic. Let's get out of here. Yeah, so where does that bring so, us up to? So you, so you were, um, <laughs> where does that bring us up to? <laughs> Let's get caught up here. <coughs> um, so, no, I was just asking that, so that was the show you were doing um, when you first started doing the street shows, mm. and you said it was the same as what you're doing here, which is completely reasonable, because that's the case for many people, but also you do yeah. two shows, so. Yeah, well, not that I want to hijack the the structure of this. There's no structure. Can, we can you can hijack whatever you want. But like. we can get to that. Shortly. We can get that. We can get that shortly. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to get to that right now. Just because. No, because I want to get past the boring part. No. Let's. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll edit this all out. It doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. I won't even be here. Yeah. 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 Just be me talking, mm. and then occasionally that sound. Yeah. Mm. And then housekeeping. And then, yeah, knocking on the door. Um, so, uh, you were in Christchurch for the two years doing that show. Yeah. Then I moved back to Wellington, mm-hmm. partly because I wanted to get back to playing music. So I went back to Wellington, yeah. got a band together, and also I was sort of interested in web design. So I went and did a multimedia course for nine months. Okay. This when the web was brand new? Brand new. It was like the late 90s. Yeah. That would be, yeah. If they had unboxing videos, then there'd be an un- unboxing video of the web being unboxed. <laughs> Here's the internet, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that would have been really new. And during the course, I got booked for the Wellington Fringe Street Performer yeah. Program. So you were extended and you started applying I th- for festivals? Yeah, I think I applied, or maybe. I or someone just said, oh, Kim out. Potter's, yeah, he does a show. So I did it, and um, I think that was my first proper festival festival. And I was like, the performer meeting at this cafe, I was nervous. Then, 2001, I was mid multimedia course and did the fringe again. And that time it was like Fraser Hooper, Dado. So wait, sorry, going back to the first one, who was at the first one again? Okay, so Tom Comet, Bob Lozado, I think some Invisible Circus guys. And the second one was Fraser, Dado, JP. Mm-hmm. And JP pulled his classic move, saw me struggling, took me aside, 
sat me down for two hours with flowcharts and spreadsheets. <laughs> and the cigarette. And I came out and everything tripled. Wow. Just instant powerhouse. Yeah. Like I just had the control, I had the, yeah, had the focus, I had the confidence, had the hat, mm-hmm. the hat just tripled. Then I went back to multimedia. So he fixed your show. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then I went back to multimedia school for the next six months. Didn't do one show and forgot most of it. Wow. And you went back to put strapping a belt around your leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd do this. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> but um, there had been some Korean scouts at that festival and they booked all of us to go to Korea. Gwachong Madang Kok Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, so perfect pronunciation. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, so Fraser and Dado and me ended up at this festival, mm-hmm. and it was all pretty cool, except that it was happening during uh, September of two thousand and one, and so 9-11 happened while, while we were there. In Korea, yeah. Wow. And there was a big American puppet troupe there, and I came down the morning of down to breakfast and walked into the breakfast room, big lounge room, tables. And they were all sitting around a big table and I wandered over and said, hey, hi, morning, morning, morning. And started making small talk. And after a few minutes, they sort of, one of them leaned over and said, like, do you, do you know what's happened? I was like, hmm, hmm. They said, well, and they explained it. And I was like, oh, wow. And I sort of sat back and looked around the room and realized the entire room was televisions just playing it on high rotation. Wow. And I just hadn't noticed. Yeah. Because I was a total space brain. Right. Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. But so that was my first overseas trip and just just memorable for that alone, you know? Yeah. So that was a big change then. You went from doing a festival in your hometown, two of them, in a mm. row, yeah. two years in a row, to going to Korea. Yeah. And is that when you... Like, where, where was that as far as you're thinking, like, oh, music, street performing? Mm. Well, yeah, I've always been, and still am, totally torn between the two. You know, they both have pros and cons. So but you knew you were going to make money street performing. Were you yeah. making any money making music or writing songs for people or anything like that? No. 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 And, I, yeah, it's funny because, you know, music, music is more of a gamble. Mm-hmm. Like... If it pays out, it pays out huge. Right. Potentially. Yeah. But chances are it's not gonna. Yeah. So street performing is you know you're gonna make money. Yeah. 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 But the chances that anybody is ever gonna know who you are are pretty high. I mean, pretty... Pretty low. That no one one will know who you are is pretty high. Yes. Pretty high. Yes. Yeah. So, came back from that, did a summer of sort of gigs and festivals... Had you been doing just street in between those, or had you only been doing festivals? I think I've been sort of doing street. Like in Wellington, or in Christchurch? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a guy, Damien Gordon, who's a good buddy. He'd been through Circo Arts, and he was, um, you know, started street performing sort of the same time as me, and he was in Wellington, and we were just good buddies. We would just sort of work the weekends, and... Yeah. And, uh... Were there other people, or were you just you two kind of sharing? M- Mostly just us. Yeah. What was street performing like in New Zealand? So this is like late 90s, early 2000s. It yeah. was like, was it only Kiwis working or did you have Australians coming in or Americans coming in working? Like, yeah. was it a workable country back then? Yeah, it was like Christchurch was really workable. Wellington was really workable. 
Christchurch had much more of a tourist turnover, so it had longevity. Mm-hmm. Wellington, you were playing for the locals mainly. So, mm-hmm. like I remember when Brandt came through, he worked Wellington hard for about six weeks, and the last three weeks were a bit of a grind because he'd just done it to Yeah, everyone's seen him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Auckland was a struggle back then, from what I knew. I didn't get up to Auckland too much. It was workable, but it was hard. Yeah. Dunedin, pretty much not workable just for the population, and there was no real good pitch. Yeah, and everywhere else was just too small right. to be consistently yeah. workable. Outside of, because Christchurch would have been, had a, the World Busker Festival would have been happening then. Yeah, yeah. So when you I, have that would happen yeah, every cause, year. Yeah, because when I got back from the UK in 96, or well, beginning of 97, when I moved there, like, Adrian and I, we lived a block from where the festival happened. Okay. So that was huge, you just go and huge on the radar. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just like those two years, or those probably four years from then on. Yeah. When I was just around, that, that was just a real education, you know? Mm-hmm. Just seeing all of the... Even back then, it was the, you know, the sort of the old school guys, the previous generations. Yeah. Still. Once you... Like, at a certain point, you feel like you had it yourself, right? Like, yeah, well... Just, the, so that yeah. summer after Korea, um, I did a couple of festivals with Byron and Brandt yeah. and Jeremy, and then a juggling festival where I met the Sillies and Hilby. I remember the moment. Where was that? Uh, that was in Paikokariki, just north of Wellington. Okay. A little beach town. So okay. the juggling convention was at. And, um, and you met the Sillies and Hilby. I just the, they and Nick had rented a car coming up from the south, and f- all four of them with all their stuff, all their shows and everything in a just a normal-sized car with the flight cases on their knees for the whole drive. Oh, God. And they just tumbled out. And it's like, all right, I don't know who you are, but you guys are interesting. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they just, like, a juggling convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, and so I, you know, met them and hung out with them. And, and uh, actually, Cormac was there as well, Cormac from Lords of Strap. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So he was, like, 17 or something. Yeah, and crazy. Yeah, so that summer I had connected, made friends with all of these great But you had seen Nick before when... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, that's that guy. Because he was living in Auckland for years. So he had been one of the local guys. I was going to say he's maybe one of the guys that really energized the... Set the fire under sure. under the, the New Zealand scene. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of woke people up to what it can be. Yeah. But so I saw those guys, <clears throat> several of them just said, like, just... Jesus Christ, just come to Canada. Really? But Phil and Brandt both said, like, come and stay with us, stay with me. Like, you've got a safety net. Yeah. So that was enough. Yeah. And I had Lintz as well. I was booked for Lintz in, in Austria. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's the irony of Lintz. The only time I've ever been booked for it was the was the first time when I was the least qualified to be there. Yeah. You know? I stopped trying one time. I should probably try again, but I gave up after four years a long time ago. I'm like, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's stupid, but I was like, forget it, whatever. Yeah. I'm tired of filling out this application getting rejected every year. <laughs> but I think it was probably ten years ago. It was the last time I even applied to it. But um, So what was your first festival season in Canada? What, what festival did you do? So, well, I, I had done this, and I was thinking I would do Canada Day in Ottawa. Yeah, and then on to Europe for Linz. Yeah, and then there's like a little mini mini tour. Yeah, Linz, and then Feldkirk. Oh, sorry, the Villach and Feldkirk. So this is little three festival mm-hmm. circuit, and then I was going to see what happened. Yeah, but that was enough to make me feel safe. Yeah, you know? 
So I did Dundas, went and stayed with Phil for a week. Went up Brand new friend. Guy yeah. you just met. Yeah. Come stay with me. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's crazy about that, right? Like yeah. This, this little like, world that we have. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you're one of us? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Totally cool. I'll help you out. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah. And they said, like, come to Toronto, which was the following week, because they were booked for it. Come <coughs> stay, stay on our hotel room floor. Just hang out. Yeah. So I went up with them. And I was standing in the hotel room next to Phil when um, Kelly rang and said, the Blackstreet Boys can't get over the border. Who do you know? And Phil just went. So who was, who was booking Toronto then? Uh, Kelly he... McKeegan. Oh, from... She really? Was... Yeah. I didn't know she was doing Toronto as well then. Well, she was with Mackenzie. She was... Because it was booked through Halifax then. I oh, think. really? I think that's how it worked. Oh, no idea. Yeah. Anyway, Kelly They must have been like... 20 years old or something like that. Oh, the what? The, you must be? No, they it? must have been. Young. I don't know. I mean... It's 20, 2002. Yeah. We're all but, quite old, Brian. I know we are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess, yeah. <coughs> so Kelly was booking Toronto. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And Mackenzie was working Toronto back then, too. Yeah. Yeah, she was there. Know. Maybe not running it, but she was... I met, I met her then. Hmm. So, yeah, I was standing next to Phil and he handed the phone over and I, so I was doing the festival. Right. So to Toronto, then drove up to Ottawa with the cow guys in their car. It smelled like cow shit. Yeah, that we know. That, there's a, there's see, another podcast see, about see that. See podcast? Yeah, well, I haven't edited that one yet, but... Oh, right. Yeah. Stay tuned. Eric Amber, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, not just Eric. There's a team of people apparently was a, involved. It was a whole conspiracy thing. Yeah. It was a nine eleven sort of well, scale. During in the middle of this conversation, I'm just do a, a, a one of those a side ones, and it just goes to like the story of Eric talking about putting <laughs> the whole team of people that put cow shit in the fuse box mm. of the car. This could be the future of the podcast. It's just that there's a hyperlink <laughs> at every at half a dozen points through the podcast, and you can jump to that story. Yeah, and yeah. Then jump back. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah, so you were in that car. Yeah. And you're like, God, it stinks constantly. Is it well, like, is it Canada or is it the car? I noticed the smell, and then it was two years later I heard the story about <laughs> what had happened previously. Right. So, all oh, right, that's why it smelled that way. <laughs> yeah. But no, Brian was super, super nice. He gave me a lift up. Like, mm-hmm. Both of them gave me a lift up and pointed me in the right that direction. Did Ottawa, like the crazy six shows in a day with 50 degree heat with Humidex and yeah yeah and you really cut your teeth that year yeah like you just finally like you went full on into it yeah and yeah and and at Toronto Kelly once she saw me do the show she said like hey Halifax wow trying to do Halifax and I was in Europe that year yeah but so she booked me for the following year just on the spot pretty much that's great so I, I suddenly felt like, oh, I'm in. Is this how it works? Yeah. And, it, and it, yeah, Phil likes to take credit for it, and it, he deserves it. Right, yeah. Like, he just, he made my career in Canada, you know? Yeah, well, how many, <clears throat> sorry, I'm trying to think, how many years in were you performing before you started doing the fall festival circuit? Was it like... Well, I guess 90, I mean, 95 was when I did my first show and hitchhiked to Christchurch. Yeah. But properly, yeah, 90, beginning of 97 was when I started... Doing shows consistently, yeah, right. So five years in, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I want to jump ahead. Mm. I'm not really ahead. I'm just gonna. I want to talk about um, 
So I feel like we got a good grasp on uh, your beginnings, mm-hmm. your journey. But I want to talk about creating a new show and the character show, and obviously specifically Vinyl Burns and when that came about and why and um, yeah, stuff about character shows basically and audience reactions and well, I think yeah, the kick in the kick in the ass that I got again was from Phil, who just said like, you just do more than just the straitjacket. Because from that point, you had just been doing the Kim Potter, Diablo, Chicken Balls, Bottle, Straightjacket. Yeah, same, same. A little bit original, but quite a lot of stock, you know? But you sort of just a, a good balance. Not, yeah. not embarrassingly no. hack, but, no. but not really pushing too hard. No, I never felt that you were hacky. <laughs> I mean, there's devices you use, but I never felt like the lines are very hacky or anything. You're right. on your own character, you're, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, Phil sort of, you know, said, come on, like, something next. Yeah. Something else. So he's basically bored of your show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kim, I like hanging out with you, but I'm sick of yeah. watching you do. I'm the show. only one who can get you booked in Canada, <laughs> and I'm sick of your shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good friend. So I went, uh, yeah, I was thinking for different finale, and I was thinking roller bowler, and I had a little brainstorming session with Sam Wills when he was in Auckland and we I was thinking okay roller bowler is a skill that I like and I can do it and how can I make it different and we sort of ended up thinking ironing board like build a custom ironing board that is a roller bowler so right. the, so the ironing board has its own base and it sits on top of the roller so your feet are sort of four feet above the roller mm-hmm. big thing spectacular so cool got that now I've basically got a table what can I do with that some sort of magic thing, cups and balls or something. So I came up with this crap magic routine, mm-hmm. which I still reluctantly do. Mm-hmm. But once I had that, it was like, who would do that? And that's where Vinyl Burns came ah, from. Ah, I see. So so, so you're like, it's not going to be me, because that doesn't make sense, because you have your show as you. And you're like, I need somebody else that's going to... Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't so much as conscious as that, I don't think. It was just like how do I picture this going yeah. and it's like a terrible magic act would have to be by a terrible magician mm-hmm. what does a terrible magician look like okay I think that was and then you thought a terrible magician has really bad teeth yeah okay. well yeah. Vegas is the first thing you think uh, yeah and then old school burnt out hack has been yeah 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 thinks he's a legend right just all the cliches yeah sure and so I bought the costume, the prosthetics that make me look like all the cliches. Uh-huh. Yeah. But just the teeth, just you put the teeth in. You know, I got them off faketeeth.com and they showed up in the post, put them in, and there it was. Yeah. Just even the way you speak. You just yeah. It, well, yeah, it does change. It forces you to speak differently. But it's kind of like, you know, you put a hat on or a thing, a thing on it. It's like, oh, now I'm the thing. Yeah. That's yeah. all I needed. Like, that yeah. one little piece is like, yep. Yep. Switch. Boom, done. Yeah, so for the next couple of years, I would do the same show, but then insert the magic routine with the character. I'd switch characters in the middle. In the middle of the show. And then go back. So it would be like a little thing. It didn't really work, but it was... It seems going to be confusing for the audience. Was the show Kim Potter? I would introduce Final Burns for this next little bit. Oh, okay. And then afterwards take off the face and like, wasn't he shit? 
or grey or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'd separate it totally. Yeah. But I was trying, just trying all sorts of things. What year was this? Uh, sort of mid... Uh, yeah, 2005, 6, 7-ish. Oh, wow. I think. Because I also, I did the Final Burns character for a, a burlesque variety show in New Zealand that mm-hmm. we toured like four times around the country. So that was where Vinyl really kind of became a, a locked-in character. And was Vinyl that uh, had music always, or...? No, that was, I, you just had this other character to do something different in the show. Yeah, I was super resistant to playing music in the show hmm. because I, you know, in my world, music was totally separate to this other sure. crazy thing. Yeah, and I didn't want to sort of blur the boundaries. Yeah, music is music, and performing on yeah. stage or on the street is that because music is serious, man. Yeah, I'm an artist, and, yeah, yeah, and I do this other crazy thing as well. Right. So it took me ages, like a lot of people nudging me and just coaxing me and making me do it yeah and then bit by bit I slowly came around to it and eventually had the idea of the guitar on the unicycle with the helmet and the music spinning around just that picture and originally the music was going to be on fire (laughs) right yeah because you need fire in a show of course yeah so when you're doing that vinyl on the street you already had him as this character that you felt pretty good about but yeah feel like this could be a whole street show yeah yeah the character was developing and yeah. then I think because I sort of danced around all over the place I would try this and then try that and then try the first thing again but with, with or without the character which or you know I would just I spent a good maybe probably five years just messing around switching things around and trying to find a, a direction mm-hmm. so I you know I would start the playing music on the unicycle just as me with the ukulele sort of just you know more cutesy Old the old kind of testing vaudeville sort of flavor yeah yeah and um, like, hmm, what does that I think of this I think I like that okay. yeah do more of it and then adding in the loop pedal mm-hmm. and then getting the flying V guitar and then the little effects box so that it sounded huge and just bit by bit just you know improving and working out where I wanted it to go and slowly realizing that that yeah that this character does belong in a crazy big overblown rock and roll sort of context yeah so then do you know when you felt like you had the vinyl burn show to just do that i think well i think the reason i'm really uncertain is because i've always just switched back and forth yeah like when i started touring at all uh, because when i first started in new zealand i was doing a french character oh really because i figured like well you want to be different like these foreign guys come through they get big crowds so it must be because they're not from here so I'll pretend to be not from here. So you're a French. Yeah, I had a French character, sort of goofy clown. Did I not mention that? No, no, no. no. Oh, talking for like an hour. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you did not say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every detail of how you started, and you just neglected <laughs> to say, "Oh, by the way, I was a French character early on." <laughs> what was this character's name? I'm already space brain with my whole my whole direction of. I mean, my whole career, like I. Do not plan things. Yeah. I don't sit down and map stuff out. No, you don't have to do that. But when I'm asking you the questions about something that's happened <laughs> already, that happened you already. should know it's so not just like things that you've already done. No, but what I'm saying is simple that, answers. That stuff isn't important to my brain. Okay. So it doesn't... Right. Like, I don't right, lock, it doesn't lock pop those up. points down. Yeah. Weirdly. It's, I'm yeah. realizing right yeah. now. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's kind of odd. Yeah, but so I started as a French character. Then I went to Canada, 
And I thought, oh, well, I know part of Canada is a French place, so that seems weird. I'm going to try it as me. Right. So, so were you so mostly French when you were in New Zealand? Yeah, I think. What was, what was your... Did you remember what your name was? Yeah, Pierre Luzer. Uh-huh. Good. And then... Uh, and was there something more to it besides the, probably, I'm guessing, German accent that you used to? <laughs> <laughs> French guy? No, I had a good, a good French accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <coughs> but um, yeah, went to yeah, started being Kim, actual Kiwi Kim in yeah. in Canada, and then carried on through Europe, and then for, so for the first Kiwi Kim, years, were you Kiwi Kim at the beginning? No. Why not? There you go. Fucking possible Kiwi Kim. I. It's awful. It's all awful. Kiwi. Yeah, all right. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, you have a problem saying your last name. I don't know why. Yeah. Anyway. So it's coming home to New Zealand after Canada and Europe. The weirdest thing was carrying on being Kim. Right. Because you're like, I'm only in French here. Yeah. I'm going to confuse my audiences. Yeah. Who, how will they know who I am? They're like, why is that guy putting yeah. on a Kiwi accent? Like, yeah. he's French. Why is that guy with the beret and the onions talking in a New Zealand <laughs> accent? <laughs> Did you have onions? Oh, costume. <laughs> Change the costume too. Did you wear a beret uh, and... Not the onions. Juggle onions? But, yeah, no, I had the stripy shirt and the beret uh. and a little necktie. Just total <laughs> cliche. Oh, my God. I've got an animated gif I can send you. Yeah. <laughs> did you do mine in the show? I did the leaning on something that's not there. Yeah, for okay. sure. <laughs> All right, let's start the recording over. We'll go back to the beginning again, and you put, put the bat in. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Yeah. So then you already had, in your head, character. So with Vinyl Burns, it wasn't like a stretch to go, I'm going to be a character. No. I'm going to create a character. No. It felt pretty pretty easy. Like, I mean, I, I with the burlesque show, which was really the first place that he showed up, and I just dived in. Didn't really rehearse. I just dived in. Yeah. We did a three-week run of, like, five nights a week, I think. And the first two nights, or, like, the beginning of the first show, he was from, like, you're from New York. It's Lionel Burns. He's from New York. He's talking like this a little bit, you know, which is a That's bad, a, bad oh, impression to do for Magic Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not German, though. Not German. Yeah, no, no, no. But by the end of the second show, he was totally from the South. It just sort of found its way without thinking about it. Yeah, just, yeah. That's where it felt right. Yeah. That's what I've always done. Just go and do it until it feels good and it doesn't suck. Right. So I'm still working on the second part. <laughs> <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, oh, I'm really but into it. I love it, but it's Whatever totally this horse sucks. shit is. Yeah. Well, that was kind of like uh, us hosting the show the other day. Like, felt really good to us, but the audience is just a lot of staring. Yeah, yeah, watching the playback, that's uncomfortable. It wasn't. <laughs> what a bank robbery. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, no, no, sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant the... The playback in your head? Yeah. Oh. You went there. Yeah, I thought I was there. <laughs> I, they were just staring at us. <coughs> I think they were enjoying it just quietly. Yeah. Like, in their heads, they were like, no, these guys are funny, I just don't want to... I just don't want anyone else to know that I like them. <laughs> I don't want to encourage the rest of the audience to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was the question? I, I don't know that that was a question at that moment. Uh, no, I was talking about the, you know, when, I think it was about when you felt vinyl burns. Well, you kind of answered it. It's like when you just kind of go through things until it feels comfortable for you and then yeah, it works. And, and yeah, and I'm still finding new stuff and finding better ways to 
make it work like you know like like all of us yeah interesting and well I think it's interesting that the other day when we were in Edmonton and you're on your Kim Potter day that you didn't do the straight jacket you finished with your Diablo and you're like that worked really well yeah like I can't throw things out of my show like that right. like my show is the, the show like I I can goof around within the show I'm fine with it but the structure of the show is these things happen and that's it for both my Magic Brian shows because one of them has to happen but actually they all have to happen the way they happen because they, they, they don't make sense any there's no like I can't swap something out really but you, you seem to have this freedom to kind of well I'm going to try this or I don't actually remember how I do that so I'm just going to do it this way and it's like you have pieces that you can move around and take out or put in if you want to and yeah I mean it could say something to the fact that you have these pieces that are really strong because Diablo is like middle or beginning-ish sort of mm. and put that at the end and close with that and that really works so yeah it could say something about the pieces that you have that they're each hold their own and you can shift them around in the show I think a part of it is I get bored and especially after sort of the second phase of my career like creating a, a second show or a second version of the show and realizing how alive that makes me feel how fun that is that really makes me want to avoid locking anything in too much yeah I know what you mean but man I mean financially I totally suffer because I don't have you're drinking that wine really slow but I'm just going to keep putting a little bit more yeah yeah keep it going keep it rolling keep it rolling Um, yeah because I am mixing things up and so there's there are formats and combinations that pay better money in the hat but I'm not not super interested yeah in playing to the hat the the more interesting the character is and I guess the more eccentric and quirky and zany and all of that the character is the less seriously they're going to take you when you ask for money true so I mean the workaround is you drop the character for the hat line or you know I mean there are ways to approach it which never seemed very in line with the the reason you're doing a character you know it's like to sell a believable character to have them experience the whole show from this guy like why would you drop a character just to squeeze some coin out of them that just feels dirty well I do at the very end so I'm dirty but I do at the end at the very very end I haven't watched your headline for a long time I guess well you haven't oh when you see the Nigel Blackstone show right yeah, no, I, I don't I ask for money. You yeah. drop that ridiculous Magic Brian character. Yeah, yeah. Be a normal guy. Yeah, I'm just a normal guy. No, I, uh, in the Nigel Blackstorm show, I uh, tease it in character, but I don't really do a hat pitch. Right. At the end, I come out of character, and for two reasons. One is, I was doing the hat line as Nigel, and it felt weird because I'm doing this accent, I'm doing this character who's believable to some to some extent mm. so like you're saying like are should they be believable about your hat line and also I wanted them at the end to feel like wow he fooled us like yeah. that's crazy like hopefully I know in England they're going that guy's English accent's kind of weird yeah or whatever but I'm pretty sure like most places people are going they think he's English and so to come out of that character and do a hat line it's like really honesty it's like here this is the real person I've been that I fooled you and now it's worth something yeah 
Yeah, but that might not work for. Well, I, I totally considered exactly that early on, even with the French character. Mm-hmm. And maybe the reason I've never done it is because when I was watching the World Buskers Fest for those few years I was living there, like just in case came through, and he d- and he does that the best I've ever seen it. Right. Yeah. And he goes from a French character, which is hundred percent legit. I know. To Aussie Justin, and then says, "Don't tell anybody," which is brilliant. Don't yeah. tell anybody else. Yeah. And I just I saw that, and I, whether it was in my mind already or not, whatever point I considered doing that for me, I just thought, "Well, I'm doing a French guy. Why would I pull the same move?" Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Total. Hack. I totally forgot that he does that, and it, yeah, I remember because I only really, unfortunately, the first time I did Buster's Festival. I really only saw his show in the group show. Right. So I saw, like, the best, like, his, the finale, basically, the, the whole bikes thing. And, but I knew he was Australian. Mm. You know, I talked to him. I didn't know what his whole show was. So I just saw that part, and I was like, my God, it was so great, the way he comes. Such a twist. Yeah. yeah. And then just says, just how gently he says to the audience, like, don't tell anybody. This is our secret. Yeah. Don't tell anybody else. Brings them all inside. Yeah, um, it's great. But I never really thought about that when I was thinking about my character coming right. out of character. I actually forgot about that. But yeah. I mean, he's, it's brilliant. It's so yeah, yeah, yeah. So because his French character is so convincing. Yeah, and, and I can see how you're thinking that because you're a French character. Yeah, it was just too much of a carbon copy, a bad carbon copy for me to try and. But you would do you that. would have played it more clowny, I'm guessing. Like he plays it pretty straight up, like he's French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you playing it? But just the fact that it was a French yeah, character, it just seemed way too close for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, maybe that's just embedded in the back of my brain, so uh-huh. I've avoided that. Yeah. But I have looked at it for different variations of the show, like with the Vinyl Burns Unicycle show. I decided not to do that because I have to do the hat line before I sing the song uh-huh. because the song loses people, like people who are on the fence when they realize I'm not going to set something on fire, they're gone. Yeah, so your finale and is you're on your unicycle and you play... Yeah, um, and so to drop the character... Yeah, well, I'm just saying for the people listening... I'm sorry, might sorry, people. seen your show. Sorry, sorry. For the vinyl burn character, at the end, you're on your tall unicycle and you play uh, We Are The Champions. Yeah, We Will Rock You. Oh, We Will Rock You. But I have a helmet on with the sheet music hanging and off it's it. And floating the past your head and you try to see it. And the glasses are on and the teeth, prosthetic teeth are on and all un- sort of under the helmet and the microphone, and so dropping the character with all that on is physically difficult. Sure. And then going back into the character to play a song that's then going to lose some people sense, anyway, yeah. it's just too... And you're saying, because the expectation is when you're up there, people are like, okay, so he's going to play a song, and then he's going to light the guitar on fire and yeah. juggle it under his leg. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't happen. And the people who want that are not my people anyway. They're at the exactly. show. Yeah. And hopefully I've set it up right so that... Most of the people are up for just having a sing song. Right, yeah. With a goofy guy. So they take that journey with you. Yeah. Yeah. It probably would work just as well or maybe better to break the character and do the hatline seriously. But I don't think it does. But I'm more interested. Either, well, yeah, maybe it does. I don't think it makes sense. So Jules does that with Ernest, and I've seen that. And he said right. his hat went up. But for me, when he breaks character and goes back into character, we know that's not that person anymore. Yeah. Well, I think maybe you make more money, probably for sure, but it becomes the same kind of experience as waiting 45 minutes to watch some guy juggle things on a stick. You know, it's a hurry up and wait show, a hype show, 
versus a whole show full of content. Right. That's, that's never going to make the same money as when an audience has had the psychological moves pulled on them to build, build, build to the one moment at the end. Mm -hmm. Like even my finale, it's just, it's not one moment. It's 60 seconds of a nice thing. Yeah. So that the impact that turns into cash is spread over 60 seconds for sure. me. So it just doesn't have that impact. Right. And I know that and I totally accept that because I, what I lose in the hat in a raw hatting situation, I gain when I get booked for more theatrical, artsy sort of And festivals. also your own enjoyment of doing the show. As well, yeah. Just yeah. That's what I want to do. I think that the shows, just from hearing the stories from the, the generation before us, is that that's what shows were like. They were right. like, they were not, the, the structure happened later on. The shows were like the crazy shows in Covent Garden, like Chris the Piss and mm. even like Nick Nicholas and who I guess would have been like kind of crossover generation there and and Lee Ross and stuff and... Um, and following shows. Yeah, like in Hal Dion is an episode that um, we did recently and mm. there, there was not a lot of structure because it didn't need to be back then. Yeah. People would watch anything, and it was just this freedom of like expression, like, this is the show I want to do, this is what I'm doing, I'm playing around with this thing. And then, I, I mean, just in my head, the way I look at it is like, and then people started making money, and then went, okay, so how can I keep doing that? Oh, right, so if I do this first, and this second, this third, then I'm going to make more money. And then it became, oh, that guy did that, I'm going to do what that guy's doing. And then it became like, this is the structure, then people went to Australia. <laughs> and then it was like, then you hype it to the finale, which is a big trick at the end. And that becomes the thing. And then everyone says the same lines. And it's this. It'd be nice to think that eventually people will see the shallowness of the experience that they're having through most of the stuff they watch these days. Like just the, the dissatisfaction of just being handed the finale. Yeah. In everything you see. Got Talent or the TV show or the one-liner or just, just the headlines. Or the YouTube headlines. the YouTube sensations that just people yeah put shit up on there and they're awesome. Here's five minutes of someone hurting themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that people get bored of it. I feel like it's getting worse. It's apparently, gonna, apparently... It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Gotta, totally. Just got to ride it out. If um, you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, apparently we have the attention span like a, a less than a goldfish or something. Our attention spans are so short now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> this episode. Yeah. But, um, I don't know um, what the future for street theater is. Hmm. Not that we need to answer it now, but what for you is the, what do you see as where you want to be and where you want to go with stuff? Um, I don't know. I've never done a lot of planning. Yeah. You know, looking ahead or thinking or, or worrying about the future and the retirement. But you know, I'm sort of mid forties and I'm hitting that age where like, it's not too many more decades before I can't do the stuff that I do. So what? Well, you can always be vinyl burns. Yeah, but the physical stunts are going to have to change, sure. to a degree at least. Yeah. And it sort of comes in little clusters of 
ideas or inspiration now. But, you know, just recently I had a whole show sort of manifest itself from two or three different directions. And re I realized, like, oh, I think this is all the same thing. This is a whole show. And it's something an old, old man can do on the ground. Uh -huh. Do you think you want to go back to music? Well, these ideas I'm having are more and more music-focused, music yeah. But I'm also, like, just the last few... I'm months, not saying that you're not doing music, but I'm thinking, like... No, but even more so. Like, yeah, yeah. The, this new idea is, like, it's all piano, piano and sort of orchestral. Your mom will be proud. It all comes back. Mom. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, the, uh... I had a thought, and then it went away. Well, it's like everything. You say you don't plan anything. Thoughts come and go. Come and go. Yeah. Start the symptoms. You forgot that you were a French clown. Yeah. When you first started. It's probably the funniest thing in the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, one other thing, or two other things. But one other thing was, uh, I know you mentioned a couple of, when you, in 95, 96, when you saw like, some of the performers at the festival, and that really stuck with you. But have you, when you were coming up and starting to street perform, were there some folks besides JP that you saw that influenced you or that helped you out? Did you find that it was a, you had a good community experience with, with coming into street theater that when you were working on a pitch and you were new, was there anybody that... I think, like, Hoople, Chris Gibbs and Pete Mielnicek, I saw them a lot and I loved them so much. And I remember thinking at the time, like, it, I don't know if it was that I that I was inspired or influenced by them. But they just left an impression. But, well, at the time, I remember thinking, like, that is what I feel, in hindsight, that, it, I, that is what I feel I would have said. Like, I would watch them do a gag or a show or whatever, and in hindsight, I really felt like, I mean, you know, obviously not accurate, but I just had this feeling that, like, that is me. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, you connect it. It's like I yeah, relate to that comedy. That is exactly my, yeah, my yeah. style, my flavor. Yeah, and I don't really do that kind of show. Uh -huh. But I just like I really just loved watching them because it was like watching the best version of what I would want to be. Sort right. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also remember watching. There was a film called Funny Bones with yeah. Jerry Lewis and um, Lee Evans mm -hmm. and George Carl. It's a great film from 90, 95, I think. Yeah, the 90s. And the sway pole routine at the end with the reveal. Yeah, that's the reason I do this. Wow. That moment. Really? I just, when I saw it, I just, I, I had been performing. I'd done some street shows and I was all jazzed up on juggling and um, saw that moment and I just, just decided. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And then have you felt like you've helped contribute something like to other performers like in either New Zealand or at festivals where you feel like you have inspired or I, I, I'm starting to see that I, I, I have and you have a great comic sense that's what you know like I think people can bounce stuff off of you and yeah. you know, help guide stuff that's what I'm asking if you've had that experience and yeah totally like working with people and also just bouncing, you know, having people bounce ideas off me or me bouncing ideas off them. Yeah, the more I do that, the more I sort of realize that, that I've got a unique angle. Mm -hmm. 
but it's such a weird thing to try and back yourself on mm-hmm. when you like because I haven't trained at any of this stuff. Yeah, like I did my little jazz guitar course, mm-hmm. and I've officially trained at that a little bit. Yeah, but I've done no official training at this stuff at all. And you know, you go to when you end up in a, on a panel or something, or asked to run a workshop at a convention or a, or something. I just feel so unqualified. But you have the years, so yeah, I can not. talk about it. Yeah, in a really valuable way for ages. But I would never front up and say, "Let me teach you some things." Okay, you know, that's interesting. It's just an interesting. I mean, but maybe that's a very Kiwi thing because we New Zealanders are typically reluctant to sort of stand up and go, "Hey, look." I know this thing. Yeah. Usually because there'll be another Kiwi going like, yeah, full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else you wanted to, you felt like we've left out? Um, or a nice way to, to cap it? Because I think we're going to have to get on a shuttle soon to go sh- shuttle dinner to a Greek restaurant. Yeah. Nothing obvious. That's okay. But like all of us, we, we could talk for weeks about ourselves. I know. We can. <laughs> And the art. And yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Magic Brian. You're welcome. That was fun. Yeah. Let's go eat some Greek food. Greek food. Let's go get in a shuttle for 20 minutes and go eat some Greek food. Yeah. Well, 20 minutes is the wait before we get in. <laughs> right. It's us waiting for the rest of the people. It, it, we, it might be us that they're waiting for at this point. Probably. What time is it? <laughs> it's almost 5.30. Oh, no, like, where the hell is Kim and Brian? We've got 15 minutes, oh, okay. but it'll take us that le- le- long to find out where this tripod goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kim. Oh, was this recording? Yeah, I turned it on. Are you sure? Whoops. Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. This episode was proudly sponsored by Dolphin Creative, a company dedicated to supporting street theater and all of the incredible characters who make up this world. Wherever you perform, Dolphin Creative salutes you. For more information, please visit dolphincreative.org. And huge thanks to Stuart and his team for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com slash buskerstories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us grow this resource and generate more content. So thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping us keep busking history alive. The opening track for this podcast came from Kim Potter's band Otaki Air Force, with the usual tracks that followed by 357 Lover. Links to all of these songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Simply go to your favorite app, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. If you're accessing this content via iTunes, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we can improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop Magic Brian a line at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Busker Hop content yet? Well then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. 
And just before wrapping things up, a quick demonstration by Kim Potter of what happens to a busker's voice after a week-long run at the Edmonton International Street Performers Festival. Living on the edge. <laughs> Do look like a lady. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound anything like him. Young lad, waiting just to catch the bus. That's not the real lyrics. No. No. All right. Kim Potter. It's recording, isn't it? It's recording, yeah. Oh, it's that's golden. The, that's the... Oh, it's going to be the tag at the, the end. tag at the end. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of myself, story editor Magic Brian, who captured this interview, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. All that money is going to be gone by tomorrow.